2: We're live with Dudley in three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome back to West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak brand Camo, the Gamekeeper Studio. And Dudley, we are so glad to have you back. I'm
3: glad to be
1: here. We missed you all week. We've been in here a lot. And
3: I you- did a lot of pacing <laughs> back
1: and forth at my house. I and you, you tested did. negative. Yeah. So we're all good, man. You're positive. You're negative. You're positive. I'm, positive.
3: You're I'm a positive person, but I'm negative COVID. That's
2: good.
1: Always. That's a good thing. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
2: We've got the the boss, Toxie Hayes, sitting down there in his chair. No,
4: no, 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 (laughs) stop, stop,
1: stop, stop. That was for
4: Dudley to be back. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, though.
2: Dudley, we are glad to see you. Toxie, we're glad to have you in here. So we've done we've done several podcasts this week. So yeah, we've been
1: burning it up. You know, it's pretty good. Had Bronson in and talking about deer, and we're going to talk about what what we're talking about today: food plots. We are talking about food plots. It is though. that Foods, time yeah. of year. Yep, yep. Yes, it really it is. is. So it's happening. You're and seeing I'm, the trailers and the tractors go up and down the highway. Uh, so it's time to, especially it, in the South. You know, and
2: Toxie made the comment a few weeks ago when we had the uh, when we had Angus in here and talked about army worms. Oh, yeah. About he Toxie was kind of looking into the future, saying they thought they were going to be bad this year. I've gotten calls from Ohio. Uh,
4: this first this, time this, ever, you know, he we, I'd talk about army worms wiping out my duck food in Paradise. For those of you out there, Chris Paradise, who is the chief sales officer for Mossy Oak brand, lives in Northern Ohio. He looked at me like I was had a third eye. <laughs> ha ha ha! We don't, you know, we don't have them. Well, guess what? They just wiped out his loan in Northern Ohio. Oh, yeah. No way! Oh, yeah, yeah. they yeah. a In fact, he's having to take time off today to get them sprayed because he can't get a service to do it because they're also swamped with. But he told. Oh, yeah. They told him that the not this hurricane Ida, but the one before that. Brought them and they rode the hurricane and up all, there and all the way them. to the
3: Great Lakes. All That's the way crazy. To the Great
4: Lakes, yep. He's never had them in his life that he knew of. That's so that, wow. yeah, careful what you poke fun at your buddies about. Yeah. Wow,
3: <laughs> traveling <laughs> army worms.
4: That's That's a crazy yeah. year. They went on tour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. Oh, daddy. so I'm, you know, everybody be prepared when this goes out. You know, be prepared to uh, protect it or be conscious of it at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You just never know where they. Populate. it's crazy you know i actually knock on wood my yard gets hit every year and i'm ready for it and so far they broke out in one spot and then that was it I'm, i guess the hatch out will be any day now but we haven't had them as bad there yet
2: Ooh, i hope not
4: good i've
1: had twice at my house man,
2: but. so guys look we're sitting here september 3rd hunting season has started
1: in many it parts is of the country that time yes. of year yeah well, we, we ought to get like some like horns it. for yeah, that mate, mate. come on mac where we at That's buddy a, well, uh, Mac's texting, texting over there. On the so
2: anyway, stuff. we'll uh Mac it was we had an opportunity? I mean, to know, he, boy, he might he be passed. asleep,
1: you know. Gator season's been pretty
2: tough on him. It is. Yeah. Are you gator hunting this weekend? I think I'm dove hunting this weekend. Good for you. I'm gonna try go watch some football.
1: We're, this we're is, going again. It's that
2: time. It's a
4: great weekend. Football,
2: dove season. and, and still there. alligator season. We just we're still hunting. Y'all can have alligator. I'm you ready to catch one, Bobby. Well Maybe. I day.
4: love the change in the seasons. We just need the good Lord to turn that thermostat down a little bit. That's right. And I'm good to go. Yeah.
1: yeah and uh I think what Dudley, what about the tree situation? We're gonna start adding some inventory. Yeah, now.
3: by by the time this podcast airs, we should be wide open at the at the nursery. Online.
1: So, so I know we're gonna have what we got a lot of plum species got the oaks the chestnuts you got some new stuff coming out yeah
3: we got some cool you know flowering plants uh adding little blue stem to our grasses selections so
1: got some wildflowers yeah check it out butterfly
3: stuff pollinator stuff you know we we're always good with all your deer stuff right that's awesome Yeah. yeah
2: well september 1st is kind of like the kickoff of
1: reloading that yep. website with inventory, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want yeah. to wait? We wanted to wait to Toxie's point to the weather cools down a little bit to make shipping uh, a little bit easier on the plants. But yeah, so it should be good to go for northern customers and southern customers too.
4: Borrowed from Bob Dixon, so many things we do today, we borrowed that from him. He always said that September 1st was the emotional new year for hunting.
1: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Because, you know, the first –
4: I know there's antelope hunting or a few things in August in the summer, but pretty much across the south where we are, in a lot of parts of the country, that kicks off dove season, which Mm -hmm. was a big social sport. Yeah. Has been at least. And so, you know, but there's a lot of things. The fall selling season for the predominant portion of what we sell to people, and it includes now trees, which is so cool. But especially right now, you've got – it's a good time to get started on trees, but you've got a pretty good window. In fact, the the, the cold of the winter is probably the best time. But uh, planting those food plots is now or never for a lot of the hunting season stuff.
3: You yeah, know, we we, we decided, got a lot of moisture
4: this year, which is good. Yeah, it is good.
3: We had the hurricane come through and decided at the last minute to not do my brassica plot that I always try to do, you know, right around the first week in September. All right. So uh, we're going to do it next weekend. All right. See how it goes.
4: you got plenty of soil moisture. And yeah.
3: lo and behold, I think we only got just about uh, a little under two inches. We would have been fine. But we wow. thought we were going to get six to ten. So. Well, speaking of Hurricane
2: Ida, I was told last night that the Mossy Oak retail store is doing a, a, a T-shirt and all the proceeds mm-hmm. are going to the victims in Louisiana and Mississippi. Correct. And I think they, I think listeners can go to MossyOakStore.com. Mm-hmm. I think is and, the, and when, the, Goodbye, when this sister. airs, that, and there's going to be a couple of versions. I saw one of them. They're really, really cool. But it's, uh, it's, it's our company's way of trying to help folks down there. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, no
1: doubt about it. You can see, this morning I was seeing traffic going up and down, the 45, you know, going down there for the relief. So uh, do all we can to help them out down yeah, there. It's yeah, it's tough, tough. Yep. They,
4: need, they need our prayers on the Louisiana coast, especially, but all over. Even at... It hit all the way through to, you know, Pennsylvania and yeah, New there's York. Yeah, there a
1: tornado in, in uh, Philadelphia or something yep. off
4: of
2: it. A yep. Flooding. Yep. Wow. It's it's just an amazing time. There's so, there's so much going on. So, I also wanted to mention uh, last week we uh, we gave away – we kind of randomly chose a guy who gave a review, and we sent him – he contacted us. We sent him a watch. And this week there's two people, uh, Hayden Blackman. If you'll get in touch with us, you'd want to watch. And another guy named RSP86, Now, I don't know what his name is, but we'll just trust you, RSP86, if you'll get in touch with us. You've won a watch, a Bertucci watch. Link, How do you win a watch? But by giving a review, doesn't that's have it. to be a good review. Just yeah. we want people so to give us a review. Can I give a review? Yeah. No, 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 you can't, can't do that. I, doesn't uh, okay. What You're, about, what about me? do that. So, No, you can't either. Okay, so, okay. but we I've would like for our listeners watches. just give us, tell us what they think. So that's in our that's our way of rewarding them for doing that. So. Nice. That's it. So, uh, Mac,
4: let's make it real clear. We're not. That's not like everybody that gets a review.
2: No, no, no. We uh, we <laughs> randomly pick. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Get yeah. your free
4: watch. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good yeah. way to get one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and they're great watches. <laughs> they're Bertucci watches. Honestly, really.
4: we love everything to be five stars, but you know, we want to know the truth. That, the truth is, we want to know the truth. So yeah, we feedback. can learn feedback. feedback is everything so yeah, really and is. especially not just only the review. I like it. I don't like it. It's in the middle or whatever. It's like, you know, we'd love to, I mean, this is for everybody out there, not just us talking to ourselves. So we'd love to get that feedback. Yeah.
3: And if you so, don't like Bobby, just say you don't yeah, like him. It's her. no big Doesn't deal. Doesn't hurt me.
2: Nah. Doesn't hurt me. <laughs> just <laughs> or you so, kidding. So two more points of housekeeping, and then we'll move on. Uh, the National Day of Conservation is coming up. September yeah. 24th, Mossy Oak cool. Properties that's has started cool this. Yes. Uh, Toxie, I know you're a big part of that. You're a big spokesperson for it. You live it every day. But we're going to cherry pick one day, September 24th, and that's kind of dedicated to doing good things.
4: Yeah, and I mean, um, that's our way of calling out the gamekeeper way. You know, It's the brainchild of the hollies at Mossy Oak Properties to start with. But it's for the entirety of the Mossy Oak brand, and it's Probably, rightfully so, uh, kind of put out through Moss Hill properties because that's like you know that's the earth itself, the that's land, fine. the properties. And so, what we're just trying to do is raise awareness for everybody. Like nobody's comparing to who did the biggest or best. Just everybody take that day to you know it's almost like to have a day of gratitude for what we have, the gifts we've been given with all this stuff all these wonders of nature and wildlife and everything that that don't give us this life so it's kind of like calling that out and to do so there's something when you give just like when you give to other people like you give charitably or whatever you end up getting you don't realize it sometimes you get more mm-hmm. than okay. what you gave and the same thing maybe even more so for the earth that we're tasked with taking care of here yeah and so there's so many cool things i wish you would Uh, We'll figure out before we get off how to send people to look at some of the ideas, but I still remember the first year we did this with properties a couple years ago, a group out of Louisiana sponsored a big fishing tournament. Lots of people, teams put up, prizes given, but the weigh-in was not fish. The weigh-in was who brought in the most garbage and trash and cleaning up all the area, public lakes in that part. I thought that was such a great idea. That's what you it's know all about. a lot of creative things going down that day but even if you can't just you know be conscious of doing something maybe play a plant a tree in your backyard or or clean up somewhere just be conscious of the gifts that we've been given that lead to this great life we have as outdoors people
2: yeah that's right that's well well said and Damn. then the last that. one is uh, September 9th, 10th and 11th we're having a warehouse sale here at the biologic warehouse and so we're encouraging People uh, that you know are close to us—they can As drive I mean. and come
1: get some really some great deals. Oh, great deals! The freshest seed out there. So. Lanny yes.
2: will load your truck.
1: I love Dudley. Will answer questions. Mac, Mac will be in the house directing traffic.
2: There's no telling what will happen on these three days. But well, we'd love for everybody cooking? to come meet us. Bandy, Bandy? you know he's going to cook something. Oh, good, good, Friday. good. Yep. So we look forward. If anybody wants to, you can. I think you can pre-order yeah, on just Facebook. Give us a call.
1: Yep. Is that right? Yeah, well, you can uh, message us on Facebook if you've got a pre-order. The the advantage of pre-ordering is just, hey, tell us how much you want. We'll have it set for the side. You can pull right in. Yeah. Make it swift and easy. Uh, but it's uh, 662-495-9292. What is that number once again? 662-495-9292. All right, we sound like a commercial. <laughs> Does that here, spell so. something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. oh, so I that's, guess that's how we're paying the bills today. Yeah, right? yeah. that's it. That's it.
3: So, uh, okay,
2: so look, well, why do we get Austin Delano on the phone? And while you're doing that, I'll kind of set up what we're going to talk about today. But we're going to... Uh,
1: you're gonna get him on the phone. Yeah, well, we're talking about food plots. We're talking
2: to yeah. Austin, aren't we? Yeah, no, just yeah. Well, so we're specifically we're gonna talk about blends. I happen to personally love blends, and we can, we'll talk about why a guy can benefit from a blend, and we'll talk about monocultures, but we'll also talk about forage varieties versus garden varieties. Just kind of a little a little in depth discussion here on those those topics. So
3: interesting. All right, we'll dial him up. So Dudley, when do you when are you going to do your throw in mo thing? I'm on uh, my cousin Haley's wedding is Saturday, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna do it Sunday. That sounds good. It's still pretty close to the first of September, so I'm not worried about it. It may never rain again. Austin's
1: probably but... on a tractor. Hey, he's probably at the gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <There you laughs> <there. laughs> I think? that oh, hey,
4: hey. There you go. If you would answered on the second ring, you could have heard everybody talking
5: about you, but yeah. you waited too
1: long.
5: Yeah, well, I figured. Yeah.
2: Have you got a few minutes to talk to us, Austin? We know you got a busy life. We'd okay. like to
3: talk about your car
1: insurance. Yes. Has your warranty expired, sir? You know what? I just got off the phone with them. <laughs> I would have loved to have heard that, that conversation. conversation.
5: Yeah, yeah. Me too. they They don't. They don't like it when you turn around and try to sell them a goat. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, good stuff.
2: Well, good, Austin. We uh, thank you for being available. We're gonna, we got Toxie in here, and and, uh, we're gonna, we want to just have a a little discussion and talk about uh, the importance of blends, how they can benefit a guy trying to manage his property, monocultures, and uh, and then we'd eventually we'll get into like forage varieties versus garden varieties. Lanny loves to talk about that.
1: Yeah, because that's a big difference, you know. So
2: yeah, so I can remember back in the early days when we started biologics over 20 years ago, when we talked about the importance of of a blend because a lot of guys like us that are out here doing these food plots, you know, they don't we, we may not, and I'll, I'll say it about myself, may not have the best agricultural skills. I know that shocks everybody <laughs> at the table, but but. Uh, but any, but the value of a blend, as we learned early on, is that the growing conditions or the depth that you planted the seed or the amount of rainfall, it may not work for every once, seed type. That's right. that's right. So a blend kind of hedges your bet, and you've got more more uh, more variety in there, and you've got a better chance for success. So that was kind of the basis
3: of how we started looking at building blends. I would I would even say you said basis I would say that's the basics of it too because there's there's so much more to that yes um, I, I always plant blends uh, my my style is I like to have some clover going I like to have some brassicas going and then I like to have about a third blends going uh, but if I if I had a small area and only had one place uh, to plant it would most definitely be most definitely be a blend. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And
5: help you no know, doubt just... and one thing for sure is that you know, it does allow your deer to be a little bit more selective or picky. And some places they're they're more likely to be that way if they have a lot of other food choices. And so sometimes a monoculture kind of can pigeonhole you into them really only using your plot for a very selective amount of time, which can be really good if you're really trying to target a specific deer or something to that case. But like you said, the blends allow you to kind of hedge your bet towards maybe an area with soil in you know, a poor soil conditions. And you're not real sure, you know, how well something might grow there. And a blend kind of allows you to get the best of everything. At the same time, your deer can afford to be a little bit more picky and be like, you know what? Today I feel like cereal grains. Today I feel like a little bit of radishes or like uh dudley said maybe some clover so definitely some advantages to them.
4: well i've had a um, couple of very prominent and very wise wildlife deer biologists specifically talk about how deer are by nature averagers mm-hmm. in other words they they just don't like to eat one thing it doesn't matter if it's the most yummy thing that they can eat that they by nature are averagers and you'll see in a lot of cases where if it's a Uh, just maybe say weed or oats or nothing else but that in a food plot and they come out spend a little time and they're gone and that's they go get some more stuff they actually probably add some roughage and some other different things to it so I guess the point in saying that if you do have the blend uh, you're much more likely to keep them in the area not looking for something else to go with it when you have that kind of variety that we're talking about in these blends. Mm. So that's another benefit to it too. Uh, I would also say I, from my own learning in the last couple of years, I would like to interject for people to think about the most important thing in your blend is likely to be your clover mm-hmm. because that residual clover is a grazing product. And it was made for that, especially our clovers that we put in there and the uh, white clovers that we have. And, um, That's gonna be so important. It may not be the most important thing, you know, the first 30 to 60 days when you want to shoot something in your food plot. But at the end, so so managing that properly is so important. So you don't plant so much big leafy brassicas that it shades that out and kills your clover. And honestly, there's the, the blends that we do have is in, you know, in such a way that those are they're mixed in an appropriate manner. But keep in mind, that's another reason for a blend, because it has different times that things are attractive. It takes clover quite a while to get a good root and get growing.
2: Yeah, they say But it. at the
4: end of the day, we talked about the other day, that what's, you know, with Bronson, what's really best for your property is that 365, 12 months out of the year approach, and there's nothing we offer that can do more for you on that regard in increasing the health and quality of your deer than the clovers we have. So it all works together. You know, and you might not even see the clover at first, yeah. but uh, it's there, and it's so important.
2: So the old seedsman saying is that clover sleeps mm-hmm. and then it leaps, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's. But but while it's sleeping, it's putting down a root system underneath. It, Absolutely,
5: yeah, very very important. Right. Uh, another another big advantage to blend, um, you know, just to put another check mark in their plus column is it's a really good way for a guy to introduce his deer two brassicas. And so, you know, you have areas where maybe a guy's going to plant a food plot, but he's a little bit apprehensive about, you know, whether his deer are going to be, you know, really attractive to brassica varieties that first time. If they've never been, if they've never seen it, they've never grazed it, tasted it, smelled it, you could plant an apple tree in the same situation and it'd be dropping the most luscious apples. But if a deer has never been around them before, they don't just immediately gravitate towards it just because it's supposed to be a good deer food. And so a blend, let's just say like full draw, Green Patch Plus, where we use a little bit of brassicas in there, but we're kind of you know relying on the backbone, the cereal grains of that blend to do the work. It's a good way to introduce your deer to brassicas and find out just how much they like them. And it also allows you as an observer in a tree stand with trail cameras with utilization cages to say okay here's the time of year they really keyed in on this here's when they were using this um so a good way to show deer you know on your property what a brassica is and kind of get them introduced to it absolutely
3: yeah so you yeah you kind of hit on the also the differing uh, maturation times of plants and and when deer prefer them so they may hit on the wheat first and then work on the brassicas, and then that next spring they really hit the clovers hard. Or maybe there's some annual clovers in there that uh, really yes. pop up and grow quickly that they, they hit on first, you know, some, a variety like Balanza.
2: Yeah, well, you know, we've got, uh, and Austin helps with this in his uh, role of helping us build product. But our, our full draw, uh, just being specific, it's got a clover in it called Bigby mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have just been so impressed with it. It's an annual clover, right. mm-hmm. but it is it is fantastic.
3: Uh, the way I think of Bersames and, and something like Balanza uh, is it it jumps out. It, it's got the palabil- palatability of a, of a jumbo white clover, but it, it's an annual. Mm-hmm. But it just screams out of the ground, whereas your perennial white clovers take their sweet time in the fall and then right. they they really jump in the spring so it serves a good purpose um and then another thing we hadn't mentioned about blends is soil health you know why do you think all these cover crop farmers are planting blends absolutely uh, yeah. it's they're great for your soil health you know having some wheat having some oats even radishes, yeah. I see a
2: lot of cover crop. Uh, radishes
3: around. performing that deep tillage task and, and bringing that nitrogen up to the surface. Uh, nice. They all have a, a role in, in soil health, and when you mix them together, it, it makes it better. Mm. So, Toxie, let me ask you this. So, you've got a lot of ground to plant.
2: So, a lot of times you kind of nice. pre-mix your own Green Patch Plus Plus and do it in a little bit different way. So you might be drilling in your wheat notes and, and then you've got a clover hopper and you're pulling the tubes and just letting that clover and brassicas drizzle out?
4: Yeah, we, yeah, and it's honestly, there's so many different situations because we are in a flood plain, but not everything floods. So we know ahead of time some of the plots are basically only going to be good for bow season and if we're lucky, the first part of the gun season. And that's going to be it, quite honestly. And even clover is not going to withstand, you know, water over it for weeks at a time sometimes. So um, I'll do something different there than I would on some of the plots that don't, that have the best soil, that are the biggest area, and aren't going to flood. Um, that's where I'll spend extra time and resources trying to get something to be sure I have that residual clover too and plant, uh, you know, our you know, our pre-mixed mixes. So, you know, again, it just depends on what we're doing. What, what kind of started... The Green Patch Plus, you know, 25 years ago, I guess it was, or 20 years ago, was what we were doing was was taking the grain drill and planting in the, you know, there's the big hopper and the clover hopper. So we were wanting to plant the brassicas. At the time, it was the brassicas that were the king of everything we did, but we were mixing wheat. So we were planting the brassicas in the clover hopper, and that was before we even started mixing clover with it, and then wheat in the big hopper, and that was just the way we did it. And then actually one of the guys that worked for me figured out, that, you know, the brassicas will come up in a crack in the sidewall. Mm-hmm. And that's why Dudley has so much success doing what he does. They, they germinate so easily right on top of the ground even. So we just pulled the... Uh, and they actually don't do real good if you plant them an inch or two deep like wheat does. Mm-hmm. So we pulled the tubes off the front of the clover hopper and let them just hang out and dangle in front of the whole drill where it was sprinkling. Then we started subsequently adding some clover. So we would traditionally plant a clover, Today's world, non-typical, is my favorite, obviously. Uh, You hear me talk about it all the time. I'm a huge fan. And then, uh, you know, your pick of a – or two of a, you know, a good leafy brassica, whether it's, you know, maybe it's uh, radishes, maybe it's, you know, the maximum. And then, you know, with, with the regular drill part that would drill deep. Would be a cereal grain to go with it. So we were just doing that on our own because you couldn't separate that in a blend. Now, if we're planting with something where we have a spreader, and a packer or something like that, the blend is the way to go. But we were, you know, one of the one of the issues you'll get with a blend if you're not careful is, you know, you have some seed in there that needs to be a quarter inch, some seed needs to be an inch or two. Uh, if we if you got the right soil and the right preparation, and you got the right amount of moisture, then they'll all work. Right? Yeah,
2: and and. And I will say that that like the Furminator, oh, it's that, the that com- combination of the disc and then the seed dropper and that packer right behind it. It works on all this. Stuff. Absolutely,
4: No, there's no question. That's, in fact, um, you know, I've got some of the guys that help me. You know that that they we're in the business of improving people's land is another business, but we all they also plant stuff for me and they spend a lot of time, especially Greg, and Tom and now Ozzy, and um, they wouldn't trade any piece of equipment we have for that firminator and planting the food plots and the success with it. Now, you know, there's a lot more that goes with it in the right preparation of your soil because it is what it is. You know, that soil fertility, you can't change the soil fertility with our seed or with anybody's planter. That's your work you do. Or, you know, maybe what you, God gave you to start with in some cases. But they wouldn't trade anything we've ever had for the firminator.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, I've heard them say that as well. Yes, Dudley, would you, before we go any further, mm-hmm. Would you kind of talk about the, the relative relationship of seed size and how deep it, it's buried and, and why it's important that you not bury these small seeds so deep?
3: Yeah, we hit on this a little bit a uh, week or two ago, but you know, a small seed has a certain amount of energy in that seed. Uh, and before the sun starts shining on it and, it, and photosynthesis happens, uh, it's using that energy that's stored in that seed. And so a really small seed... Uh, I mean it's kind of like a rocket taking off or something. You know, a big old rocket can go a long way. It's got a lot of fuel in it, but a little bitty seed needs to be close to the surface because it's it'll run out. If it's too deep, it'll run out of energy before those first two true leaves make it to the surface. Um,
2: and and that's why we really preach
3: about quarter inch, quarter inch, right? Being kind of an and, ideal. And uh, one of my rules of thumb is that. Uh, you know, you can get away with planting a bigger seed a little bit more shallowly.
4: Yes.
1: Um, yeah, especially if you and get so the moisture. in, in you know. the case
3: of blends, uh, if it's all a quarter of an inch deep, you're good. You mm-hmm. know, wheat, oats can be a, You know, but if clover is more than a quarter of an inch deep, it may not even get to the surface. Right? And
4: soil type makes a big difference too sure. because okay. like around here, we're in the, you know, the Black Belt Prairie, a lot of heavy clay soils. And quite honestly... Um properly prepared and and also firmed up just a little bit, all of those seeds would be best sown right on top of the ground and then maybe culture at a time. you know, because uh, that small seed as they talked about it, it also doesn't have the wherewithal to fight through that heavy clay if it's planted too deep either. Yeah. Um, you know, where if you get where if you have sandy or soil, you probably could incorporate, all of that a little bit deeper to be sure you had moisture to survive, and it won't have as much trouble breaking through either. Mm-hmm. So, think about your soil type too, you know, because if you know, if the sandier you are, the more moisture is going to be so critical. You're probably going to have to get a rain really close to after planting, even if the soil's moist already, and you're probably going to have to have a second one pretty soon following up that to get the kind of crop you want.
2: So, Toxie, would you uh, say one of the lessons you've learned through the years is that actually when it comes to seed, That less is more?
4: You're leading the witness, Bobby. Yeah, well. (laughs) Uh, But yes, I've been, you know, I learned the hard way sometimes. um, You know, people with small plots in a wooded area without a lot of browse, um, you know, food pots are so critical and so crazy important to hunting season. And they plant something and the deer mow it and they think their answer is, I'm just going to plant more. I'm going to plant more and plant more. And honestly, that's not the right answer. Because if you've got that situation and it's a small plot, first of all, if it's a small plot surrounded by trees and timber or other stuff, that's going to be stealing all your nutrients and water from around the edge to start with. you your sunlight. Yeah. And so you're you're losing that perimeter the smaller the plot is too. But um, the more you plant there, the less chance you actually have. And, of course, people will plant more and put more fertilizer on it and that typically just didn't answer. Uh, honestly, if you if you make it really succulent, you're probably attracting more deer right away, and they just keep it mowed down so low it never grows. And then you get cold weather and it doesn't go anywhere. So, uh, what, what I would advise, you know, is kind of prioritize a little bit. And I, I hadn't done a great job of this in the past, and I've learned is like if you've got more than one or two plots to do, uh, prioritize them. So. What are the ones that you have the best chance, the best soil, the best chance to have a good, you know, a crop that gets big enough to be some really meaningful forage, to really attract deer all season long and then have things left over for your property. Start with those and I would say, you know, you've heard me say this lately, if you've only got the resources of the budget to do like 50% of them, but do them right and do them in a way you know that is touching all those things you wanna do. I want to have deer in there. I want to have the best food plot. I want to pull my neighbor's deer off to my place, all those great things. But I want to do what's best for my place holistically long term so I'm getting better and better quality deer, wildlife, and so forth. You know, think about that. And maybe you don't, in went up the roundabout way, I'm just saying, maybe you shouldn't try to do too much if you can't do a good job with it at all. Do what you can do a really good job with and then work from there, you know.
3: Sure. That's a good point. Um, You know, a lot of people now are doing some of this, you know, wildflower type stuff and and native habitat. So, you know, if you don't have the budget to plant, fertilize, and lime every single field on your property, uh, you can always do another type of habitat management treatment to those areas versus just let's plant them all and not fertilize anything.
4: Absolutely. So many people still today, I know a ton of people do it, and honestly I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with it, but they will get their local feed and seed store co-op, to, and they'll call and say, I'm planting, you know, the hunting club we're planting 40 acres of food plots. Blend me X amount of wheat with the fertilizer in a buggy. I'm going to pick it up on Saturday. The the fields have been disk up, and we're going to put it out. And so, you know, that's kind of, th- I would I would venture to guess there's more, way more, like, tonnage and acreage planted that way than any other way in America. No doubt. What I would challenge all of the different people doing that is pick the right spot from listening to us and other people and try, like, I, my first recommendation, and it has nothing, honestly, it has nothing to do that we offer it other than that's what I know about is non-typical clover. Pick a spot and just take your four-wheeler seeder or a hand seeder and top seed to go along with that and just try it and see. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to sell people 40 acres worth of it. How many pounds case. per
2: acre would you have them do mm-hmm. that with? Would it be four or
4: five? No, nah, you know, depends on how thick they're putting the other on. but I think most cases Austin can chirp in on this, but I would recommend the four or eight, six or eight pounds an acre to go right along with it, especially if they have just a cereal grain. But if you've got a spot that will really mean something to your property or your hunting club, that it offers uh, food for your deer much more than just a hunt over, try it. And try, you know, try. A small bag same. of maximum. Yeah. A uh, small bag of radishes. I love the radishes. The yeah.
3: radishes really
4: yeah. got me so impressed. What I would you know, I would encourage people to do is try that. You know, just go seed it by hand and see what happens. And then you will know, you know, what's worth the investment or not in the future on your place. Because if you're not trying that, you're really missing out on a chance to up the the quality of your property that you have
2: Mm -hmm. i would agree so lanny you've uh you plant plots every year you got a little place you kind of hunt down a little south of here near macon and and it seems like and i'm not throwing darts at you but it seems like you always kind of get a late start me and then sometime around (laughs) october it's like oh my gosh i gotta get my plot you
1: know every podcast we've had about food plots i've kind of reiterated it's like hey get ahead you know plan your work work your plan yet here i am uh, with no plan and no do work
4: what yet. I say, not what yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah.
2: So my, I think my, my mama has a saying that exactly would pertain right. to that. Yeah. <laughs> so my question is: so you get started sometimes in October. Yeah. How do they end up performing for you I that mean, planted
1: that late? It works pretty well in the south. You know, it's so dependent on moisture, obviously. So. Uh, It it works pretty well. I mean, it's not too late to plan. I mean, we played it as late as October before. Sure. uh, You know, and still got – granted, your brassicas and and Austin Dudley can explain this better. And I don't have – those temperatures to get as big, but yet uh-huh. you're still providing quality forage. And then with these, you know, the th- th- things we do too, we're not even talking about turkey season because, you know, even those clovers and stuff, like you're talking about in the fall, they sleep, and in the spring they leap, you know. Yeah. I love that part of it too. <laughs> cause, sure. You know. Now let's not get toxic derailed on turkey season. No, uh, but... Okay. <laughs> hey, I do want to bring on one thing, though, he was talking about. You know, we, we've all done it with going to the co-op, getting a buggy of wheat. You know, there's also ways... Because some people, you know, don't want to cut, you know, 10, 20, 40-pound bags and It's more convenient for them to get. But, you know, there are options. Like, we are in the food plot seed business, obviously. But, you know, get a big bag of a quality seed and, and put in in there with the rest of your stuff that you're planting. You know, we'd love it, for it to be biologic. But, you know, some clovers or some brassicas or some deer radish to add in there, too, because it'll really augment what yeah, you're doing. There. Yeah, there's,
3: there's a lot of folks that know what they're doing that can, you know— add the proper ratio to right. a big buggy. And so, yeah, if you want to go get some wheat or some cereal rye or some oats and then get uh some non typical clover and maybe some deer bag. Yeah, and, test
1: it. Test yeah. it. And I mean, put
3: that in there and make your own
1: make blend. Make your own blend. We got guys um, doing it all the time. We, we you know, do. they're ordering big bags direct from us. You know, we we've just, even seen some guys mixing non typical and chicory. So Dudley made, made a great four. point. He said
4: people there's people that know what they're doing. What we wanna do more than anything is grow the number of people that you can say they know what they're doing you exactly. go, you know how they got that way because they tried things mm-hmm. and they tested things and what we're proposing for me I'd love for more people to have a greater knowledge of their own place because that's actually where the rubber meets the road yep. not just us sitting here in the studio talking and so try things yourself and actually you'll find that the testing is a lot of fun you know and you no, you, you know right. especially yeah. if you can that's be sitting in that part. shooting house watching deer, Maybe you try two or three things besides just, say, the wheat, and there's a patch here, and there's a patch here, and there's a patch here, maybe, you know, obviously it would be non-typical clover, maximum uh, deer radish. That would be probably my three to just personally recommend to people just get a very small, smallest bag you can find and test it. And then not only see the results, but, you know, as far as, you know, in the next six months, but watch what the deer go to, and then you can learn from that. Got to honestly... I don't think there's a one bullet fits all that we offer. I don't no. think so. I mean, I think it's really important to see because I know places where deer respond more than others to certain uh, varieties.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So look, let's do this. Um, Austin, are you still awake over there?
5: Oh, I'm, Chugging coffee as we speak. Okay,
2: well, so let I wanted to ask about. Uh, let's just talk real briefly about monocultures. But what I wanted to lead the first question to you with was. Could you kind of talk about
1: and explain what monoculture? I mean, you know, maybe it's just a big word. planting one thing, just one particular seed in bling's or a
2: variety. Of I, I should have explained that. You so. got to do
1: that. Point. Goes yeah.
4: for everything in nature too, because when you look at across uh, bottom or somewhere and you see nothing but pine trees, that's a monoculture. That's monoculture. Or trees yeah. or like a particular spot. I thought about is It's just beautiful, but it's many acres. You probably look across at maybe eight or ten acres, and it's one hundred percent willow oaks. Mm. So it's a monoculture mm-hmm. of
2: willows. Yeah. So Austin, would you have you had any experience or what has been your experience with the, the winter peas?
5: First thing that comes to mind, unbelievable attraction from a whitetail standpoint. Probably very few things I've ever seen that they absolutely love more than a winter pea. Um, you know, folks out west will say alfalfa. There's definitely some spots where that is that seems to be king. Some places it's clover. You know, I've seen them wade through standing corn everything right there available for them they'll walk through it gets not different clover. but as a monoculture winter peas can be an unbelievable early season attraction for white number one problem with winter peas is that they are so attractive very few people ever see what they're truly capable of from a forage output standpoint and just a pure attractive standpoint because they are a true ice cream crop they're the first thing that gets nipped off in a blend. A lot of people probably haven't seen just how effective they can be. I challenge people, if you've never used them before, and let's say you've got a deer targeted or you've got a spot that you really want to key in on for the early season, take a half acre and really do it right. Plant strictly winter peas, potentially even fence it off if you've got a pretty high deer density. If you really want to see what they're capable of, you're going to have to protect it a little bit and just see how much growth they can put out, how cold tolerant they are, if they last that long, depending on when you take the fence down. Because uh, it is probably, you know, to use a good word, just one of the most succulent crops that you can grow in the fall all the way into the winter that, you know, the white tails just seemingly can't get enough of it.
2: Yeah, utilization cages are really important for what we're trying to do as gamekeepers and understanding how a plot has performed
4: yeah but it's it's bigger than that and and austin's right about that i mean because they you know you can look at a utilization cage and it's you know whatever three feet tall in the utilization cage and it's dirt high everywhere else but you don't know if they wiped it out as soon as it popped out of the ground or maybe it grew a foot and then they got some actual use out of it so um austin that's great that's one reason i don't use them much because we have such a high deer density in most places where they would be uh, really applicable to people, and you wouldn't even have to necessarily uh, have the fence part, although that would be great. If you've got a real high deer density in a wooded area, they're probably not for you, except for the fence. But if a lot of people don't necessarily have that high deer density, and they might be hunting an area that, that's probably gonna be where your better quality whitetails are in something that's not quite so dense of deer herd. And if you've got something that isn't going to get overbrowsed right away. Uh, he's right. There's probably not much else you could grow a, a fertile crop of and, and draw something out, especially um, when the weather's right. That's another thing that has nothing to do with seed necessarily. But the, the, the more luscious the food plot is, for some reason, all these years I've watched them, those high-pressure days that are dead calm and cooler, They just, even those really older deer have, for some reason, they're more comfortable and more pushed to come out uh, and feed. And something like he's talking about would be give you so many more chances at a good deer. uh, Just think about this.
5: Just think of objectively of all the plot pictures you've looked at and stared at over the last three decades. How many pictures have you ever seen of a crop of just, winter peas that was more than an inch tall not many i don't even get them an inch tall yeah you know because they love them but that that just that just speaks to their attractiveness you just don't see them because they are the very first thing i don't care if you put 50 things in a blend in a 10 acre field i would hedge my bet the first thing they go out there and they pick out is going to be these winter peas
4: sure
5: and so it's it, it is an extremely attractive crop But do not expect it to perform a miracle in that it will get browsed very quickly. And if you have a moderate to high deer density and you want to see what they're capable of, you're going to probably have to protect them with an electric or something like the P2 plot protector. Years ago, I did it on a lease in Tennessee just to see what would happen. I fenced it off and doubled our P2 plot protector around it, treated it every seven days. And I got them to about... Ten to twelve inches tall on average on about a third of an acre field. What was crazy is watching the deer come out and browse in the brassicas that we planted around it, but they were just staring into into the peas all the time. Like I, I wonder if it's worth it, you know. I like me, wonder you can if it's fry worth. A chicken
1: <laughs> yeah That's funny.
5: Yeah. So what? And about- eventually they just dive off in it.
2: Yeah. Well. Uh, so y'all answered that question for me. So the next one I had, and uh, actually I'm looking at you, I'm wondering, have you guys planted chicory, just straight chicory, and had success like that, or or is it better mixed in with, you know,
4: clovers? I have. I, I prefer it mixed in with clovers. I I haven't seen deer utilize it nearly as much in the winter as they do. Late summer? Yet. Yeah. So it does add something, and it is, and I can speak to it better now, but it is very drought tolerant. So as we... I push so hard to have a residual clover stand left for my deer to, you know, eat when they're putting on their horns. Uh, that, that, you know, that chicory can really, really come in handy if you've had a real dry summer.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, sometimes
4: it's yeah the it only- is
5: unbelievably drought tolerant. And if you've ever dug a plant up, and I dig it, I know this is going to surprise y'all, but I did it years ago with a backhoe just because I wanted to see the side profile and how deep the taproot went. And and y'all remember that piece of property that I used to manage and how rocky and just really tough the soil conditions were, but I had some four and five year old clover plus stands up there where, you know, the chicory had kind of taken over to probably be forty to fifty percent of the field was was chicory over over years time of, of managing and cutting it, and the taproot on that chicory is is unbelievable, which is one of the reasons why. It's so highly used and regarded in places like New Zealand where they use it as a um, a crop for all the different livestock they raise. The ability for chicory to m- sort of mine nutrients from a, a subsoil level that a lot right. of plants can't get to. Yes. And it, it's almost a natural wormer. Uh, if you talk to those guys over there for things like lambs and sheep, uh, because of its um, uh, the, the plant compounds that it puts out, uh, it's it's really a very natural wormer for a lot of four legged critters, and a lot of that's just from its its ability to reach down and mine nutrients from a soil level that most plants don't ever get to.
4: Hey Austin, I got a question for you actually on that. I just because I I I found this. It seems like that when you're talking about a chicory that uh, the species and the or the cultivar specifically on chicory can range widely in pal- palatability. It's really important to know that you're planting a chicory that's kind of proven, because I've tried, I don't know, when we first started this, probably four or five different kinds they were sending, and only one or two. Which I remember is, that. Yeah. yeah and they, they, they wouldn't even touch them. So the one yep. we use now is really good because you've spent years researching it for us. But I would caution everybody, be sure... Uh, it's just like, you know, brassicas, not all brassicas are the same, not oh, even close. close, you know, not chick- all chicories are the same. No. It's actually one of the ones I remember growing some beautiful stands and it was a drought the year in a fairly deer, uh, high deer density area and they wouldn't eat it.
2: You know, and, and chicory yep. per pound may be the most expensive seed that we are. Very expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Yep. It sure yeah. Is
5: and good. a lot of those, a lot of those varieties, like you were talking about toxic that we trialed out early um, man, they had some great characteristics. The growth characteristics were great, drought tolerance, all the things we were looking for. But at the end of the day, if a deer doesn't browse it, we can't get real excited about it. That's right. And some of those varieties were real high in tannin, yep. which is some of the reason they are a natural wormer. But I kind of compare it to, um, and I think me and Dudley have talked about this in years past, I just compare it to the difference between white oaks and red oaks. So, you know, we, we grow some of the most beautiful chestnut oaks up here on these big ridgetops you've ever seen. Golf ball size acorns, it is the absolute last acorn they will touch yep. if they eat it at all. Yep. But they would they would wade through a dump truck load of those to get to a, a pile that you could put in your hat of, of just pure white oak. And and it's no different with some certain varieties, of like you said, chicory or even brassicas, they've got to have the taste for the white tails to be interested in them.
2: But, you know, that's, it's amazing. Uh, what, what the scenario you just described just kind of reinforces how selective these animals are and their preference. So that, you know, and that kind of goes along the lines of like, you know, all these years that we've been working with rights and nutrition out of New Zealand and some others – We've been developing. I mean, they bring us forage varieties, not garden varieties. Correct.
1: And and there's big a difference big difference there. Yeah, there really is. Lanny, you want to speak to that? I'm not smart enough to speak to it, but I know Dudley are toxic. Um I'll hit on it for a minute. Um,
3: you know, garden varieties are great. I like to eat them. Uh, but the but the thing is, is a lot of those were developed years ago. And in fact, some of our forage varieties may have. Uh, come from, the, you know, some of that genetics, but they haven't done any improvement on those in years. It's, uh, you know, uh, one of them is dwarf Essex rape. Well, that's been on the shelf since I was a little kid. And it, you know, it grows up and looks like a little bitty, uh, I don't know, look, never gets that big. Um, and they have not, you know, made selections and made improvements on it. Where a lot of these New Zealand varieties... They're constantly innovating, uh, making crosses and improving, and running tests. and Sure. Yeah,
4: and let's point out too that they are targeting deer, right? And deer nutrition and deer digestive tracts, which are vastly different than cattle, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. right? I mean, New-, but- New Zealand is the world's leader in forage research, yes, and forage. they're
1: raising these animals on an island, so there's limited land space. You know what I mean? So they have to. The forage part of me is they're just, they're they're breeding these seeds to create as much forage as possible in the smallest area.
2: You know, and it's very—it's a very
1: diverse island too, Landy, yeah. because it goes from sea level to mountainous within right. a few miles. So they've got to engineer these seeds to maximize the amount of forage that their animals can, because it's one of the number one industries there too. You know, obviously we're getting a lot of venison for gamekeeper butchery from there. So it's just real interesting to, to think about it that way. You know, the, the seeds that we put, again, and not to sound too sales oriented, but the seeds we put in these biologic bins are all forage varieties. What you might pick up at the co-op or in other places might not be poured right. fresh so look at your seed tag can't explain enough how important seed tags are on blends and monocultures to understand those in the germination the freshness uh, the freshness uh, the and the, everything uh, the ratios the ratios is exactly yeah, right. yeah, you can really flip that thing over i mean even though yeah. a bag might say deer radish flip it over and see how much is in it you yeah. know i can speak to irish because it's 100 percent deer radish. Right. you know i
3: can i'll uh, put it this way uh we here in the Southeast, uh, we've been improving the loblolly pine for gosh, uh, 70 or 80 years, if not more. Um, if I'm going to plant some pines on my farm for timber production, I'm not going to go get a bunch of seeds off an old field pine. I'm going to go get me some gin, you know, gin threes or something yeah, from Weyerhaeuser the because they've been improving them, uh, for that specific purpose. And they've, you know, they've got disease resistance, uh, you know, they grow faster, put on more volume, more density. It's the same way with, yeah. you know, with with seeds. Yeah, so, so
1: whatever you're planting, just, you know, again, whatever you're planting, yeah. it, it, be sure it's fine. Yeah, I'd right. like to say,
4: too, that uh, this is a lot of information in a short period yeah. of time. And I know to maybe say the average guy, I feel like I'm an average guy. I really do. But it could be overwhelming. And I guess the way to simplify it is what I said earlier. I want to be sure and reiterate we we got to this point because of years and years and years of work working in partnership with a really the, the top deer nutrition, you know, forage nutrition company we feel like in the world, with all this work by Austin and others and even myself and Bobby. But honestly, it still only matters what happens with you out there and your blend. So let's what I'm asking is everybody help us, you know, and have some fun. Be a tester. You know, yeah, it's fun maybe just, just a small amount and try it. And I would love to have the feedback from more and more and more people out there and what they're doing. Cause honestly, that'll just help us be better for everyone. And, you know, we, we do take that on ourselves and take great pride in it, but nothing would make us feel better than to hear from the people and that they tried things and what happened. And quite honestly, good, bad, or indifferent. That's right. You know, just the truth. Yeah.
5: Cause we yeah. want so I'll just, i'll just throw my my two cents in there on on the, the new zealand stuff and you know i keep in close contact with those guys and they've forgotten more than i'll ever know but you know a lot of people i want to ask is why why do you why do y'all get a lot of your seeds from new zealand and and honestly it would be a lot easier if we didn't um the three four month boat ride a lot of times is really kind of hectic trying to get things put together at certain times of the year when you've got feet on the water. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into getting that into our hands, get it blended, tested, and put into a bag. But at the end of the day, we keep going to that trouble year after year after year because it is better, not because we just like to put New Zealand on a bag. Absolutely. And so these guys over in New Zealand, it's a pretty temperate climate for the most part over there. But they do have one side of the island that's very almost subtropical-like and the other side of the island that sees some really rough winters. And so when you see, like Lanny said, it's it's relatively small. It is an island. They have a chance to use this in a lot of different weather conditions. But also looking at, like what Talkie was talking about, one of their number one exports for the last three-plus decades has been velvet antlers and venison meat. And so they're going to use whatever they can come up with is the best forage for that particular critter. And if you'll just do a Google search and just put in New Zealand livestock and look at the quality of animals that they grow on that island, if it's a sheep, a milk, cow, whatever it is, these guys know what they're doing. They are unbelievable at managing the dirt that they have control over, growing the best crops on it, and grazing it at specific times that is ideal for whatever critter they were growing at that moment. And so that, that's why we go to the trouble of getting these seeds from over there, because they have done so much research before we even ever get our hands on it, they can pretty much tell you the result that we're probably going to see out of it. And that's probably one of the coolest things is, is getting their info before we put it in the ground and then seeing those results replicated over here and being like, you know what, you're right, this is jam up, let's get this in production.
1: And, and Biologic was founded on doing what's best for what, Bobby? For the deer. That's, that's right. <laughs> they're, they're our customers. Yeah, that is our, that's who we think our end consumer is, is the white-tailed deer.
2: You know, uh, Austin, that was a great analogy, and and I'll just I'll kind of put a bow on it with... One of the ways that the New Zealanders explained that Garden and Forge variety to me one time was the, the guy, in this in this uh, in this ax, New Zealand accent, said, "Imagine." You don't give us your best. No, you I can't. I can't do. I thought about it. I thought about you were going there. <laughs> but I, I'm failing. I'm going to fail here. But he said, "Imagine the difference in a Cadillac and a Volkswagen. They're both cars, but that's where the similarities end." Uh, and so that's you know the Cadillac being the forge variety and the Volkswagen. Oh, I didn't
1: know so, which one you were driving. Well, I don't, that's <laughs> how he explained it. So.
2: yeah. So I don't think I did a good job explaining that. But I, if I had a British accent, I'd have. You thought would have sounded really smart yeah,
4: if you'd yeah, had a New Zealand yeah. accent. Good also. Can you cover farm real quick? Yeah. It's getting kind of rough here. <laughs> <It's
1: getting>
2: rough. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. So you know, one of the things that uh, you know, we probably need to start wrapping this thing up. Uh, but, and, but I also want to point out. That as we talk about these blends and monocultures and food plots, and we enjoy this so much, absolutely, guys, don't forget how important fertilizer is to all of this. And you know we've pH, yeah, and, and and we've talked about soil tests in the past, so we're, we're, there's no need to go yeah. there. But fertilizer is just so so critically important.
4: It is, but this also, I think, also in the back down on this one, there's a step behind that that's even more important, and it's not about the fertilizer; it's about the soil fertility, right and the soil, you know, nutrients. And so, because I've watched in the last couple of years, some stuff grown on some new dirt that didn't get any fertilizer or any attention or actually even summertime any weed control from herbicides and do just beautifully. Because guess what? Everything the plant needed was already there in spades. So it goes back to that soil test. Let's don't forget, if you really care about doing it right, you'll get the soil test and try to fertilize to the needs of your particular cultivar and not just the fact that you're putting fertilizer on it. So mm-hmm. I will say that these newer, like, uh, that we sell, you know, liquid foliar fertilizers really can make a difference regardless of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a different route than root uptake, you know. Fast, too. Yes.
2: You, you see it, yeah. Yeah, so look— so, guys, I want to – and, Mac, you're over here. Wake up, Mac. So, I want, to, I want to just go around the table real quick, and I wanted to ask everybody – and you're, we've been doing this a long time. So, Dudley, what is your favorite blend? If you've got one to go to, what is it going to be? Uh,
3: I just – I always go back to Green Patch Plus. Um, yeah. It's I'm a, a good big one. fan of radishes. Sometimes I want to just sprinkle a few radish in there, but uh, Green Patch. Yeah, so Mike, I'd love to ask you that question. What do you? What's your thought?
2: Mine's gonna be green patch as well. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay,
1: well, so uh, Lanny, I think you're a little different than the rest of us. Uh, you know, if I'm going for a blend, I'm on. I'm on full draw. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it was. You know, when the original part of biologic was, we had summer management, we had fall attracting, and we had premium perennial, but when we set out to make the first blend. Uh, full draw is the one, for and me. it's a good one. It's unbelievable.
2: Yeah, that and last bite, they're very, yeah. they're pretty similar. So yeah, that's that's a good choice. And actually, what? A, uh,
4: you know, uh, you yes, asked blends, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a non typical clover like nut job, yeah. honestly. Yeah.
2: And that's really happened but in the that's last. Not a
4: blend, yes. It, but is it proved itself? Not no, You know, it's totally right. proved itself. It's by results, totally by just results, but. I would say probably Green Patch Plus still has stood the test of time as the best blend we have. Although I do believe we're by this time next year we should be probably have you know make any promises a new one. I'd I'd love to get to where the combination of the non-typical clover and a super good cereal grain, along with radish and brassica, both in a, in a in the right ratio, not in the overdone or you know bad ratio. I think proper. Those yeah. are the stud muffin cultivars of what we sell sound like we
2: got some work to do yeah well so i was it kind of goes with what I, i'm kind of doing I mean, asked my, me my
4: favorite right. but, well, but that's because you're asking all the questions so ask yourself bobby yeah well so
2: uh, last year i had a, a it was a little more than an it didn't end up being an even acre yeah. acre but i was able to do uh, some green patch at the right rate and i added some final forage Oh, and I tell it, it, it was bit, incredible. Huh? Yeah. yeah, it was. It was incredible, and I think it kind of speaks to what toxic was well, we we saying. Custom there.
1: blending over there. I didn't yeah.
4: know we had that option. Well, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> we've got so many. We offer so much. It's really it, it, people think, should. Yeah, everybody planting the, stuff point here. should try that. Not to mention, let's just. I'll go out on a limb and say if it's if it's for um, the betterment of your place holistically, you just want to see better quality deer. I would. I would. Tinker around with the clovers. Yeah. If it's like, I don't want all my buddies in the hunting club to know I spiced up a spot for me, I'm telling you, I'm going deer-radish. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. Just it's you know, maybe more versatile. If you can get the right stand in Nebraska, that's hard to beat. It's certainly the best nutrition for your deer of everything yeah. we've yeah. had. If you like, ask
2: Mark Jury, that's where he yeah, goes That's right. right. Yeah. But if
4: you want to just, like, take that big, you know, that big oak patch or wheat fill in the hunting club and spice a spot up for yourself, but I'm telling you, deer-radish is the way to mm-hmm. go on that one.
3: Yeah, and, and final forage basically. I mean, it's heavy on the radish.
4: Yeah,
5: So
3: it's that, a third radish yeah. for sure. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, guys, this has been uh, Mike. You raising your hand over there? You need
5: to get What, use what the rest of my top or? liver, y'all? You're not going to. Oh, Austin, God, Austin, Austin was the on the line. Flag, yeah, yeah,
2: Austin. I'm oh, sorry.
5: Who cares what you think? Austin? <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: you do this every day, all day long. What would you know? Uh, I'm sorry, Austin. Go ahead.
5: Hey, I'm just I'm just going to throw out a bone for last bite because. Little known fact, it's got about ten percent non typical clover in there. We go. And if you will uh yeah, take the time to read that seed tag and look at it, if you'll plant it and do it right, you'll be shocked about how much clover, just that ten percent or whatever we've got it in there this year comes out looking like in the spring. And ask somebody like Mark jury how well their last bite plot turn into non-typical clover fields all by going in there yep. and maybe overseeding um, frost seeding you know late february into late march with non-typical in the spots that you see might be a little bit thin maybe they were kind of heavy on the brassica and wheat area uh, of, the, of the last bite blend but it's a really good way to start non-typical clover but have all the other stuff in the blend and then add to it with a frost seeding absolutely
2: yeah but yeah, thank you for explaining that, also. I'm sorry I, I left you out there, out of sight, out of mind. I, I didn't. But anyway, but Mac, yeah. you're
0: waiting.
4: did you <laughs> got a shame, 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 uh, shame uh, buddy?
2: He's trying to beat around him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now that Dudley's back, we, we ought to do an ask Guess Dudley. Who's back.
2: All right, Well, let's go. Dudley's
0: back. Hey, Dudley, I have a wild area with pawpaws. I have four plant, and I have four planted in my yard. They're all producing, but aren't producing many. I've heard you can hang some rotting meat in the branches to attract flies for pollination. Does this work? Thanks. Oh,
3: man,
0: <laughs> Melvin, wow, northeast Louisiana. Melvin, I hope hope you're safe through this hurricane, but he's got a question for you, Doug.
3: Yeah, that's a good question, and I've heard that too. Uh, I know folks that have tried it. Um, you know, pawpaws are not very attractive to the Traditional pollinators, you know, bees and such, um, and so the old wives' tale of putting some meat, you know, hanging some, put throwing some dead fish on the ground, or you know, something to attract houseflies and beetles and things, it actually does work. Wow. Um, and so, uh, you know, you just got them flying and landing on the plants and, and handing pollen from flower to flower. But uh,
4: So let me ask, what would be option B?
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a really good question. Um, and option B is the option that I like. Uh, I've got a couple in my yard, and I, I have time in the morning before work. I'll just take a Q-tip out there or a little bitty paintbrush and go from flower to flower, and you just – Kind of wipe it on the flowers. Uh, do a little research. There's some YouTube videos and such on the subject. But when those flowers are the most receptive, uh, just go out there and wipe them down with a Q-tip or a little bitty paintbrush. And uh, most so you them, can go
1: from this flower on the same tree, just flower to flower, flower. Well,
3: flower. you need multiple trees for pollination. Right. So yeah, you can
1: you can go One back. One tree to another. There's
3: millions of little pollen particles. though. Right. So you you but, get but some. Right some some pollen on there and just go from
1: one flower tina,
2: to another. flower yeah cool wow so that's why you're late in the
1: morning yeah he's dusting
3: that's one, the one of the
2: many reasons
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh Melvin that was one of the best questions no, we've had I, I, that was I, a great like, question it, but yeah, you know I just don't not,
1: so.
4: I never knew you know that's why he was late and I never knew they pollinated pollinated in
3: March yeah that's right and all this time, Guilty. y'all thought I was turkey hunting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, hey,
2: well, look, guys, this has been a lot of fun. But before stuff. we wrap this up, I want to get serious here for just a second. Oh, man. Um, and this is, is very tough to talk about, but we, the Mossy Oak family lost a member last night and uh, and Tim Anderson, and everybody loved him so much. And we just know that family is is hurting, and we just want to let to let them know we're thinking about them. And and, and Toxie, I'm looking at you, and I, yeah, I know it's you. Just, it's, it's
4: so hard, um, you know, just forever and ever from here on. Whenever you see the Mossy Oak brand, just know um, <clears throat> what a huge part he was of that. Um, our culture here, our people, um, is a greater contribution than anybody ever. Um, we're just we're so sad, and you know that's mixed with. Some feelings of immense gratitude for even knowing him, but I don't think we've ever had anyone that we've had as part of the the business, the brand, the enterprises, uh, or maybe even known anyone that just never had a bad day. Yeah, and he um, was a great. Just I want everybody to to learn from him that can. Um, he could do that for other people he spread that joy he wouldn't let you take yourself too seriously you know it was just if it got too serious he would make you laugh make you smile he just had a gift from god for that and um, it's awful he's left a gaping hole in the brand uh, but um, i will say he was uh, my my one thing I thought about last night, and I sent to everybody. Is I've seen it, you know, said before, and on movies and even stuff like that. But the saying holds so true for him. He was truly the best of us, mm-hmm. and uh, he will always be with us in spirit. Uh, i wonder if maybe Bob's up there yapping for him right now already. Yeah, you know, so I thought I about so. it, the two of them. <laughs> yeah. They were so kindred spirits, although they didn't their paths didn't really get to cross much. Um, and also, you know, he was. Um, Such a sports guy, and I thought about the other thing to say to the world about him is that he was—he was really competitive sports guy. Loved the University of Iowa um, and the Hawkeyes, and uh, but he loved Mississippi State, and he loved Mississippi State because he loved us so much and our our family here. here. Mm -hmm. But I was just gonna say that he was such a great sports guy. He was such a great coach to the massive team that he coached and. For us, but I'm just so thankful to God. I just want to let everybody know. I'm so thankful to God that He was on my team mm-hmm. in life, not just mossy oak brand and business, but in the in the game of life. I'm uh, it's tough to keep it together, but I'm just so blessed that He was on my team in life. Um, yep. Yep. We love you forever, Tim. That's yeah, right.
3: we're gonna miss him. And if you've ever planted a bur oak from native nurseries. Uh, yeah. Tim Anderson himself collected those and sent them down to us every year. So uh, I think we need to plant a bur oak for Tim. Absolutely. Some, somewhere in West Point mm, that's from one of his seedlings.
2: Yeah, that's a great idea. Th- so thank you all for saying that. And to the, to the Anderson family, we are all thinking of you guys and your inner thoughts and prayers. And So look, I, I, I'm looking around the room. Is there anything else we need to do? I don't think so. Mike. you... Good luck with your alligator this weekend. Lanny, I know you might be going gator hunting again with McKellar. So I'm y'all be...
1: definitely going. I think Mac's going, dove honey. We're going lizard hunting. Okay. Giant <laughs> water lizards. Y'all be careful out there doing that.
2: And look, uh, Toxie, raising your hand. Yeah, one
4: last lesson on the Tim Anderson uh, yeah. subject, too, that for everybody that hears this and spread it to everyone else, the lesson learned is cherish every, every. day get outside with your family and your friends and the people you love but cherish every day as a gift that's what he would want for us to pass along to everybody
2: yep I don't think we can't add any more to it that, no. that's great words so uh
1: say goodbye Dudley goodbye Dudley get us out of here Mac Mac